Now, this week was 4th of July, and we celebrated our country's Independence Day. And when we think about independence, we typically think about freedom and all of the freedoms that come with the hard-fought battles, wars that have been waged through the centuries so that we can remain independent, that we can remain a free country. Now, when people think about freedom, typically what they think about is the ability to do whatever I desire to do within the context of the rule of law, right, within our country. So as long as I'm not doing anything illegal, I can pretty much live how I would like to live. And we define that as freedom. It's, it's, it's very much a term that is defined through the lens of the one who seeks to do what they want, right? We following? And as I was reflecting on that this week, as I was reflecting on the amazing freedom that we have in this country, and a freedom that I am very thankful for, I was studying this passage in John chapter 4 and thinking about how Jesus kind of is trying to teach those who would put their faith in him about a different type of freedom a different perspective on what it really means to be free. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we jump in to this story. And the majority of John chapter 4 is Jesus in his interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. We're going to be immediately after that, starting in verse 46. So if you open up in your Bibles to John chapter 4, verse 46... We're going to look at Jesus as he interacts with an official from Capernaum. And so as you're turning in your Bibles there to John 4, 46, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight and we seek your truth. We seek your word, Lord. We seek you. And I pray that we would seek you and we would find you and that your truth, your words, who you are would capture our hearts and minds and soul, Lord, that we would be so moved to you to praise you and bless your name and to seek to serve you and bring glory to you in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would move us to you and that your truth would be spoken, that I wouldn't get in your way at all. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be prepared to hear your truth, to be moved and encouraged by it, Lord, that we would be more like you as we go from here than when we came. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4. We're going to read through the whole little story here, the whole little pericope. How many of you have heard that word before, pericope? Yeah, yeah. 
It's a fancy seminarian word. It means for this, this little section of, of scripture here. So if you want to like sound smart to people, just be like, well, this pericope that I was reading this morning. Anyway, John 4, 46 to 54. So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he, the official, went to him, Jesus, and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea, to Galilee. Now, let's get the progression of events through the Gospel of John, right? Jesus is baptized, he, he picks a couple of disciples, and he goes to this wedding in Cana where he turns the water into wine, and if you were here at the beginning of this sermon series, that was the very first summer in Galilee sermon that we looked at. And then he traveled from Cana to Capernaum, which is on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee, and he healed many people there. He, he called more disciples to himself, and he continued to teach and preach to the people there. And then, according to the Gospel of John, he went down to Jerusalem, and he had some conversations with people there, including Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he uttered the very, very famous John 3.16, and we could all probably recite that, right? For God so loved the world, dot, dot, dot. And then, when he was done in Jerusalem, he traveled back up north to Galilee, and he went through Samaria which is what the beginning of John chapter 4 is about, right? Where he stops and has this conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. And he ministers there for a couple of days. And then he arrives back in Cana, kind of where this whole little journey began. So we have a, a little full circuit here that Jesus does in the early part of his ministry. And he arrives back in Cana. Now, it's interesting, here in Cana, he does two signs. The first was at a wedding where there's joy and celebration. And the second sign here in Cana revolves around the sickness and the 
impending death of a young child. And you have Jesus moving here in both of those situations. You have Jesus moving at a time of joy and celebration. And you have Jesus moving at a time of sadness and sorrow. It's very interesting how John kind of brings this full circle here in the early part of Jesus' ministry. Both of these miracles happening back in Cana. And I want to remind us that these signs and wonders that Jesus does, especially in the Gospel of John, and there are eight of them as he goes through and tells his narrative of Jesus' ministry, these signs and wonders are always, always for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus himself. They are always for the purpose of confirming the validity of the truth of the words that are spoken and confirming the validity of the messenger. In this case, this was Jesus himself who is doing these things as he proclaimed himself as the Son of God and the long-awaited-for Messiah. Now, we see here in this story that we have an official Now, this official was most likely an official in the court of Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, who, if you remember the stories of when Jesus was born, right? That was Herod the Great who sent the wise men to find Jesus because he wanted to worship him, right? And then tried to take Jesus out. So that was this guy's dad. Now you have Herod Antipas, And most likely, one of the court officials is what we're talking about here, because John does not say that he was a Jew. And most all the officials in Galilee would have been referred to as officials from the court of Herod. And they were almost certainly Gentiles. So another interesting thing here we see John doing is you see John ministering to the uh, John showing Christ ministering to the Jews right in Nicodemus, and then he ministers to the Samaritans in John chapter four, and now at the end of John chapter four he is ministering to a Gentile. So I'm just trying to give you some context, trying to give you some scope of what we're reading here, so we understand some of the themes and threads that John is pulling together, all right? We following this? You guys with me? All right? I know it's a little hot and stifling in here, so if I'm starting to put you to sleep, just like, just like stand up or something, and, you know, if I could, I would come off of the stage and just preach right at your face, but I can't because I'm, I gotta stay on this, this camera here. So, it's important that we recognize this is a different story than with Jesus and the centurion, right? The centurion, where the centurion came and asked for Jesus to heal his servant from Matthew chapter 8 and Luke 7. This is a different account, so we're not talking about Jesus and the centurion. We are talking about Jesus and the official. And The main thrust of what Jesus is driving at here really can be encapsulated in verse 48, and we can turn there and read it again, when Jesus said to the official, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. 
Now, it's very important, and if I were you, I would circle in your Bibles the word you in that sentence, highlight it, underline it. The you in that sentence is plural. Jesus is not just speaking to the official. Jesus is speaking to all of the crowd that is there. So it's this Gentile, most likely, this Gentile official, and a crowd of Jewish people who have been waiting for Jesus to do something miraculous, to do another sign. And so I'm just going to tell you all right now, this entire little story is all about faith, what is real faith, and what is real freedom. Okay? What is real faith, and what is real freedom? So this isn't a very complicated sermon here, guys. We're just going to look at that and break that down. What is real faith and what is real freedom as this story kind of unfolds it? And, and you see in verse 49, the official hears Jesus' words, and he says, hey, come back to Capernaum with me and heal my son. So even though Jesus just said, hey, you're not going to believe unless you see signs and wonders, which is, he kind of says in a, in the Greek, if you kind of look at the tense and, and everything, it's, it's kind of like a chastising tone, all right? It's, it's like he's saying, you guys have to see this stuff to believe it instead of just believing my words, instead of just believing me, all right? So, we kind of lose that in the English translation, but in the Greek, we recognize that there's, there's a bit of this, this, this chastising going on as Jesus is speaking to them. And despite hearing that, the official says, yeah, okay, so about that, you need to come back to Capernaum and heal my son. And of course, he said, that your son's healed. Go ahead. Now, of course, the official thought that Jesus had to be present to do a miracle, which is why he asked him to go with him. Why? Because he didn't really understand who Jesus was. Okay? He thought Jesus was a miracle worker and not God. Okay? Very important point. He still asked Jesus to go with him even after Jesus said, you will not believe unless you see these signs and wonders. But Jesus in spite of this official's insistence on seeing Jesus move, Jesus is gracious and merciful and says, your son is healed. And to the official's credit, the text says what? It says he believed his word, right? He believed his word. And that is in verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So the man believed the word of Christ and then went on his way. Coupled that with an actual faith in action, right? Now, I just have three points that I want to make with regard to the theme of what is real faith and what is real freedom, okay? And, and we're just going to go through this real quickly and break this down. Three points are very simply, number one, 
we recognize that real faith is a progression that ends in Christ. Not me, but that ends in Christ. And real freedom is very similar. There you go. Real freedom is just liberty that ends in Christ, in pursuing Christ, in serving Christ. Now, that's kind of the short answer. How do we get there as we break this passage down? Now, we recognize that faith is a progression, right? A progression that ends in Jesus. And I want us to see, let's go back to the beginning of this in, in verse 19 and 20. And we see that this man, this official, he had a problem, right? His son was sick and was, was near death. His child was near death. And that drove him to seek answers. That drove him to seek a cure for his son. And that is where faith always, always starts. Faith always starts, genuine, real, true faith that ends in Christ always starts with recognizing that there is a brokenness, there is a sickness, there is an illness that needs to be cured. Okay? Now, this man found it in the literal sickness of his son, and theologically speaking, it's fine to start there, but it's critical that we all recognize that every single one of us has some degree of brokenness. And I hope that we would all agree with that, right? There is a degree of brokenness within us that needs to be restored, that needs to be fixed. And instead of this official sending his servants to go and find Jesus, we see that the official himself goes and seeks after Christ. Again, evidence of a progression, a growth, a, a movement of faith. If you are truly seeking after God, it's only something that you can do yourself personally. It's not something that you can do vicariously through someone else. It has to be something that you do on your own. And so this official sought Christ and he made the 20 plus mile journey from Capernaum to Cana, which would have taken a very full day's travel over the rough, hilly terrain. And in the Greek, the words he went in verse 40, uh, 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. That means he went he basically sprinted. He went with haste as fast as he could. Okay? There was no hesitation. This man was going as fast as he could towards Jesus. This man sought Christ out and he found him. And if you know the word of God, you know that that is a theme throughout Scripture, right? That if you seek the Lord, you will find him. Deuteronomy says, 
Uh, from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Hebrews 11 says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek them, so who seek him. And the way that he rewards them is by being found by them, right? And there's plenty of other verses that talk about if we seek after God, we will find him. And so this official gets to Jesus and it says that he asks him to heal his son and to come down, to come down to Capernaum and heal his son. Again, the word asked in the Greek, it really just means to beg. So we don't have the official there just saying, hey, would you mind coming and maybe if you're available, come on up to Capernaum and, and just heal my son. Now, this guy is literally begging Jesus to come with him. He's pleading with him to come and to heal his little boy. And he's doing this over and over and over. It's, it's a repeated, the tense is, is repeated action, right? He is begging Jesus to go with him back to heal his son. And so, from the perspective of faith, I want us to recognize the need that the man saw for Christ. But it was a need for what Christ could do for the man and not what Christ, who Christ was and what Christ was all about, which was to receive the worship of those who would follow him as he directs that worship to God the Father, right? Are you guys doing okay? You guys with me? Yeah? I know this is a tough one, tough one, right? So, Jesus receives this man, and he gives him this very hard truth. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, Jesus, again, he's speaking to the whole crowd, and I want us to see here, this is so important, that what he is getting at, what he is driving at, is that I am not here to do signs and wonders. I am not here to heal every single person, to feed every single person, to give every single person their heart's desire, everything that they want. That is not what I came to do. All right? And yet... So many people, the majority of people, they flocked to Christ because of what they believed he would give to them. All right? This is the crux of this whole passage. All of these people thought that freedom was getting whatever they wanted was being able to live the lives that they wanted to live unhindered by any trouble, unaffected by any trial or tribulation. And as soon as they found trouble, they could go to Jesus and he would make it all better. 
And Jesus says very clearly here, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I came to do. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Meaning, unless I keep doing what you want me to do for you, you're not going to follow me. Do we see what Jesus is getting at? He's driving at their hearts of selfishness. He's driving at their hearts of pride. He's driving at their hearts of a desire to control their own lives and do their own thing as opposed to a heart that humbly says, you are God and I want to be with you because of who you are, regardless of what you may do. Do we understand the distinction there? Do we see the two monumental differences between those positions? One goes to Christ because of what it thinks it will get from Christ. One goes to Christ because of who he is. He is God. He is the Son of God. He is the only way to God the Father. All right? You following? Yeah, you guys with me here? All right. Very good. Very good. Now, situate this whole conversation in the midst of our culture. And I think that we can immediately, I hope, find the relevance to Jesus' words, right? Especially in a week where we celebrate our independence, where we celebrate our freedom. Praise God for our independence. Praise God for our freedom. But that there's so much greater freedom in Christ, and it's a completely different perspective when you begin to understand it, right? What is real freedom? Real freedom is not being able to live how I want. Real freedom is being able to have confidence and peace and, and security and hope, knowing that our big brother is watching over us, Jesus Christ, and our heavenly Father is sovereign and in control, and we are serving him and doing his will, seeing his name glorified and his kingdom work done. That is freedom. Not what I get from Jesus. Real freedom is knowing that I am in the hands of my loving Father and He is in control. And he is God. And I can have relationship with the creator of the universe. I can have interaction. I can talk to and hear from the one who is the name above all names, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the, the God above all other gods. I mean, we, we lose the gravity of that in our culture because we're, you know, we're not like, oh, hey, well, here's the God of this, and here's the God of that, and here's the God of this, and here's the God of that. We, that's lost on us. But the reality is, that there are principalities and powers and spiritual forces all around us that we contend against every single day, whether you're aware of it or not. There are enemies that are trying to take us out and to get us trapped in lies and trying to get us to spiral into darkness and despair, depression, depravity. And there is a God who is more powerful than all of that, and his name is Yahweh, and he sent his son, Jesus, so that we can have relationship with him. 
That is what freedom is. And real faith goes to Christ not because of anything other than a desire to worship the God above all other gods. Because he is God. Not because of what he does for me. And I just got to be really honest with us. Oftentimes in our, in our church culture, we make faith and we make the pursuit of Jesus all about salvation. Right? Put your faith in Jesus and get saved. Well, you know what? Praise God for the fact that he saves us. But let me just be real blunt. We should not be pursuing God just because he saves us. So I'm going to say that again, because you might not have ever heard that in church before. We should not be putting our faith in God the Father because he saves us. And this is a very important distinction that some of us might, we might bristle a little bit at. What's he talking about? We put our faith in Jesus Christ because he is the way to the God above all other gods. He is the only way to the creator. He is the only way to have peace into eternity where we have relationship and fellowship with the God who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Because he's the only one worthy of our true worship. It's, it's, we, we pursue him not because of what we get out of it, we pursue him because of who he is. And praise God, the outpouring of that, the result of that is that we are saved so we can have relationship with him. See, I don't want us to get so fixated on salvation, which again, praise God that we have it, that we forget that we are only saved so that we can have relationship with God. Okay? Because if we get focused and fixated on salvation, we are the type of people who Jesus is talking to. You only believe because you see signs and wonders, i.e., you only believe because I've saved you. I've given you what you wanted, and that's the only reason why you follow me. Uh-uh. That is not the type of faith Jesus is after. Are we understanding? You guys, you guys tracking with me here? So this guy still asks Jesus to go with him back to Capernaum. And Jesus says, all right, go. Your son is healed. And it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke. So we see a progression in the faith. Jesus calls out the selfish pursuit of Christ in this man and all of the other people there. And then he begins to teach him what real faith looks like. He says, I don't need to be there. I will buy, because I'm merciful and gracious, your son's healed. But you know what? You go. I'm staying right here. You go. And you go back to your son. And to the man's credit, the official's credit, it says that he believed the word of Jesus. Now, very important that it says that he believed the word. There's still a step missing. 
right? He went from seeking Christ because of what he could get out of him to actually believing in the truth of the word that Jesus spoke. That is a very, very critical step. Because if you don't believe in the word of Christ, you will not get to the final step, which is what we'll see here in a minute, which is putting your faith in Christ because of who he is, not just because of what he does or what he says. Okay? And so the man apparently didn't leave right away, which is kind of interesting. I mean, he might have stuck around there and listened to more of what Jesus taught. How do I know he didn't leave right away? Because look at verse 52. He finally gets home, he meets his servants, and he asked them the hour when he, when he, the son, began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The seventh hour was around one o'clock in the afternoon. If the man really hustled, he could have gotten home around 10 o'clock, midnight, that same day. But he most likely didn't. And the, the kind of the tenor of the text is that he left the next day and he met his servants. And so from one o'clock till whenever he left, he was presumably with Jesus listening to him speak. Now, let me be very clear that that's reading into the text. The text doesn't say that. But there's this gap here of time. So whatever was happening there, what I think we can say with certainty was that the Spirit of God was working on this man's heart. And he was moving in his heart to move him away from what Jesus did and could do to who this guy actually was. Who is this man? And so he arrives back with his servants, they tell him that the son was healed around the exact time when Jesus spoke. And of course, we know that it was the exact time when Jesus spoke. And it says, verse 53, and he, the official himself, believed, no modifier in his word, it just says believed, and all his household. If you study the Greek, the believed goes back to Jesus. That's what it kind of modifies. He believed in Jesus. He didn't just believe in his word, which is what the previous belief referred to. Now, he and his whole household We have a flash flood warning. I think that was just the Lord signaling that this is a super important point. He believed. He believed in Jesus himself. He believed in Jesus himself. And all the sirens said amen. See, signs and wonders, they can produce awe and admiration. But ultimately, it's the power of the word that produces faith. And then that faith must be acted on and trusted in and submitted to, right? 
Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God, right? The man heard the word of Christ and acted on it. He was not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And he went and saw Christ's handiwork in his son and believed in Christ himself. Now, it's a good thing when Jesus does miracles. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? And it's a good thing, by the way, that we pray and ask the Lord to move and do miracles in our lives. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right? I am not saying we shouldn't do that. We should. We should persistently, prayerfully go to our God as we seek Him to answer our prayers. But what I'm saying is, the more that we grow and mature and are refined in our faith, the more that our prayers will be that we know our God more, that we know who He is, that we have more intimate fellowship with Him and with His people, and not that He does things for us. Okay? That is the main point of what this text is teaching, right? And if we have a faith that is awed and is is stirred up by miracles and signs and wonders, that's okay. But let me encourage you, brother and sister, to ask the Lord to help you to appreciate that, but to move beyond that to Jesus himself, to God the Father himself. He is the object of our affection and our desire and our admiration, not what he does. Okay? And ask the Lord to show you the times when you forget about who he is and go to him because of what he does. And usually, usually the situations and circumstances that bring that out are difficult times, difficult seasons, trials, and tribulations, right? That's usually when we begin to seek God because of what he can do and not because of who he is. Now again, we should still seek God, but it is not first and foremost for the purpose of getting what we want It is for the purpose of drawing near to him through that difficulty. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. Right? And then he continues, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? Jesus Christ, because of who he is, has overcome the world, and because of who he is, we can find peace in him, no matter what is going on around us, so that we don't need to have it our way. Crying babies are so cute, I know. (laughs) He was just amening. That was just another siren's call of amen. So the more that we grow in our faith, the more that we will recognize that freedom does not mean getting what we want, but it means having relationship with our God. The more that we grow in our faith, the more comfortable we will be when the answers to our prayers are not what we want 
or expect. Just like with this man, he specifically asked for Jesus to come with him, and Jesus did something different. Now, it still ended up well, but he did something different. The man could have hemmed and hawed and whined and complained, but he said, okay, and he went. That's, that's growth. That's maturity. It's okay to ask the Lord for things, but be prepared for him to do something completely different and ask him to give you the grace to be perfectly content and okay with that. Right? Just like this man. That is faith. That is freedom. And when the Lord does move, when he miraculously does things in our lives, celebrate those times. Praise him for those things. Appreciate that. Be filled with gratitude and and thanksgiving. Relish those victories. Because that is not... It's, we're not celebrating what Jesus has done per se. We're celebrating that our God is who he is and therefore can move in that way. He has authority and power in this place. So again, we shift from celebrating the thing to celebrating the one who has done it. That is real faith. That is real freedom. So my encouragement to all of us this Independence Week is that we ask the Lord to help to move wherever we may be in our hearts to any degree that we have a pursuit of God because of what he does for us, that he would help us to see that and repent of that and move beyond it to mature, to be refined. Notice that Jesus Jesus was gracious all the way through here. He called it out, he pointed it out, but he was gracious and merciful Praise God for that, right? He, he, he is working with us because he loves us and he wants to refine us and mature us and grow us. So as we begin by going to him because of what he can do, we end up moving away from there and worshiping him because of who he is and walking in the freedom that he gives us as his children, as his disciples, as servants of his kingdom, Right? So, so my prayer and my hope is that all of us would be like this official who progressed in his faith to worshiping God for who he was and who walked in the freedom of worshiping God and not privilege and not his own will, but instead walking by the will of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.